Hi everyone! Uh, welcome to a very special edition of Art Blog Radio. Uh, we're recording on location at the Fabric Workshop and Museum. And today we are lucky to have with us Susan Talbot, who's the executive director and the curator of the current retrospective show that's up. Happy to be here. Um, so starting really simply, um, because this is in sort of audio format and not a video format or a photo format, um, how would you describe what visitors should expect to see when they arrive yes. at the show? Yes. Well, this show really not only traces the 40-year history of the Fabric Workshop, but really the last 40 years in contemporary art as well. So when visitors come, they're going to see a lot of contemporary art, really starting at around 1979 with Roy Lichtenstein's Great Satine Shirt. Um, but this isn't only a show about product, about the art that artists make, but about the way that artists make their art. And for the last 40 years, we've been collecting all of the drawings, the mock-ups, the maquettes, the experiments, the notes, um, even ephemera, like paperback books that artists might have been using for reference. And we collect all this material and put them in these big archival cardboard boxes that are kind of the size of a wedding dress box. And over the last 40 years, we collected 400 of these boxes. And I went through each of those 400 boxes and chose 84 of them to display with the finished works. And so when visitors come to the Fabric Workshop, they're going to see not only completed works of art, but they're going to get a real insight into the thinking process of each artist whose work is on display. Fantastic. Um, so the exhibit is called um, Process and Practice. And you've, you came on board at the Fabric Workshop almost two years ago, right? Yes, uh-huh. Um, Fe February, actually, yeah. of 2016. And so even then, I'm sure you would have known that this big anniversary was coming up. 40 is a big one for any institution. Um, and so I'm wondering why you chose to go this route for, for you know, the, the retrospective show that was inevitably coming. Yes. What was it about process? What was it about these artist boxes that was appealing to you? Yes. You know, when I first got here, um, many members of the staff said to me, you've just got to go into our storage area and look at some of these artist boxes because very, very few of them have been shown over the years. And this will give you a sense of what we really do at the Fabric Workshop. Now, I knew Kippy Stroud for the last 30 or so years. I knew the Fabric Workshop very well from being in the field. Um, and also, I knew many of the artists yeah. who showed here and worked with them myself in my career as a museum director and curator. But until I actually opened up these boxes, I didn't really have a visceral sense of what makes the Fabric Workshop so special, because we really not only show work, but we produce it with the artists. And so our connection to the art and the artists is a very visceral one. 
Um, and when I saw all this material, I thought, you know, this is as much about Kippy Stroud's vision as the completed works are. And I love the idea of pulling back the curtain and letting the public see not only what we do at the Fabric Workshop behind the scenes, how the work is made, but to also get this insight into the creative process. Um, you mentioned Kippy Stroud's vision, and one thing that I sort of discovered when I was reading up on the Fabric Workshop is that it didn't actually become a museum until the 90s. Um, so for the first, you know, 20 or so years, it was really just an institution that was about experimentation and providing space for artists to have this incredible process. Um, and so then, you know, I think in 96, it becomes a museum. Um, and so one of the questions I have is how do you as the executive director balance those two sides? Because to me, museums are so often tasked with, um, you know, codifying things and periodizing things and sort of um, putting them behind glass in a way that makes them really sort of permanent and staid. Um, and so how do you balance um, what it means to be a museum, and then this incredible legacy of, of process, of experimentation, of things being messy sometimes. Yes. Um, well, first of all, I think that museums, as long as I've been involved with museums, have been fighting that um, perception that we are very hands-off, that everything is behind glass, that everything is very formal, sometimes stodgy and dusty. And I think that when Kippy started the Fabric Workshop, she thought about that. Now, I didn't, I knew her very early on, but um, I didn't talk to her about this. But my guess would be that she was really reacting against that view of how art should be displayed. Right. And that she wanted a more intimate experience for her audience. The idea that we became a museum in the mid-90s is an interesting one because actually from the outset the Fabric Workshop was both collecting work and exhibiting work mm -hmm. and they were doing shows from the very, very beginning and in fact um, many of the photographic documentation that's in process and practice shows not only the artists working in our studios but in many cases, it shows the installation of these very, very large projects and from very, very early on. So I think that the idea of calling us a museum right. was really less about how we've been, we had been functioning, but really more about labels hmm. and saying, you know what, we're doing important work here. We're collecting, we're exhibiting, we're doing stuff the museums do. And yet we also offer another kind of experience. I also have been told um, that it was Mary Jane Jacob, the very esteemed um, curator who had been helping Kippy out at the time, who came up with the idea of huh. calling the Fabric Workshop a museum. Huh. But I think that your question um, about how to mediate what we call the studio side of what we do, the studio operation, with the museum side of what we do, is really 
what has been on my mind and um, others as well who work here since Kippy's death because this is an opportunity to really take a close look at who we are and what we do and what makes us special. Um, and we have been meeting with groups of people, with our board, with our staff, and with um, members of the foundation that supports us, the Marion Bolton Kippy Stroud Foundation, to re-envision what we are. Now, maybe the result of that will be very subtle, and maybe the result of that will be less subtle. But I do think that our studios have been underexposed. Mm. And this exhibition really highlights the work that our studios have been doing the last 40 years. You mentioned this question of what makes the Fabric Workshop unique and special. Um, you know, one of the things from my perspective, obviously, is this emphasis on sort of textile and fiber arts. Um, but then also, you know, you mentioned that there have been some really huge names in the art world who have come through here. You know, some of the artists on display, you know, there's Carrie Mae Weems, there's Anish Kapoor, there's Lichtenstein, there's, I can't even remember all the different artists yeah, yeah. I saw. Um, but one thing that was interesting to me going through the exhibition is that um, the things that I was seeing, particularly in the boxes from these artists, were things that felt uh, sort of, to torture a metaphor, outside of the box yes, for them, yes. you know, like it wasn't just their standard thing. Um, and so I'm wondering if there's a connection there, like if there's something about the, the medium that, that lends itself to that kind of freedom even for people who are very established or or is it really the organization or how did you how do you make sense of that well again um, a very very important question because at the core of what we do is this idea of experimentation and I think that Kippy's initial idea was that artists would come here and have the opportunity to work outside of their comfort level and so um, when you see, for instance, Roy Lichtenstein's silk shirt, which is one of the earlier works in the show, he, of course, was a painter, later became a sculptor as well, but he was known as a painter, certainly at that time. And he was experimenting with ideas about reflection, reflective surfaces, about mirrors. He was doing a mirror series at that time. He was kind of early into his investigation of the Bende dots and the stripes, the blue and the red and the yellow stripes and dots. And Kippy invited him to come to the fabric workshop and to work with silks and sateens and fabrics that had that same reflective quality. And what he came up with in the end was a piece that was very much in sync with the kind of thinking he was doing, um, but even more so because when that shirt was worn and people moved in it, it really reflected, it shimmered, mm. and the pattern shimmered as it moved, as the silk moved. And so I think that was a very good early example of taking this 
artist who even by then was quite important right. out of his own comfort level right. and having him work in a material that was new to him. Um, over the years, just like we became a museum, we also expanded the kind of media that we worked with. Hmm. Um, and so although fabric remained a very, very important part of the identity of the fabric workshop, we also expanded into other media, into film, into video, into installation work. Um, and our studio staff over the years has also been so expert at what they do so expert at knowing how to work with different media, different materials. Um, but they're also artists in their own right. Most of them are working artists. So that the collaboration between the artist and the um, studio staff is a process that does allow the artists to really, in many ways, realize their dreams things that they couldn't do on their own, hmm. or methodologies that they might not be aware of to create this vision that they have. Right. I mean, I think one of the risks of having people work outside of their comfort zone is that there is an opportunity for failure. Um, and so I'm wondering if that was something that came up at all, where there pieces you didn't show because they were less successful or? Uh, in, in a way, just the opposite. And um, I write about that in the essay um, for our catalog celebrating our 40th anniversary because a big part of experimentation is failure. Right. And I love the projects that failed. And so one of my favorite, uh, again, a very early project, one of my favorite projects that failed was Vito Acconci's, who... Oh, is that the Ivy shirt? That's the Ivy shirt that I talked about <laughs> during the press conference, um, because he had this idea of a shirt covered in ivy, just like you might see a wall covered in ivy, um, but you could lift up the leaves and then see nipples, but the nipples aren't in the normal place. The nipples are actually um, on top of pockets, and the pockets are placed where the nipples wouldn't actually be if you were true to anatomy. Right. And so what we had in the end was this half-completed piece because Vita really lost interest. And one of my favorite stories, I don't think it's apocryphal, um, is told by one of our studio staff members. And she said that, as legend goes, when he was working on the shirt and you know, getting pretty near completion. The Talking Heads came out with an album and they advertised it by making a t-shirt that had a fig leaf or an ivy leaf on it. And he saw that shirt and he said, oh, someone beat me to the idea, I'm done. And so it was never really completed. Um, but it is still an absolutely wonderful object that we have in his artist box. We also have silk screens of 40 some odd nipples in the artist's box. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in that vein, one of the things I wanted to ask was, um, what were some of the biggest surprises? I mean, you were told there's these great boxes, you've got to open them. Um, 
So yeah, what, what were you most surprised well, to find? There, there was such great material in the boxes. I mean, Yinka Shinabari's project involved um, batiking cloth, which he's known for. Yeah. And usually he uses African trade cloth that's actually Dutch. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he wanted to create his own batiked patterns, his own batiked cloth, which he did with our studio staff. But the source material for his designs um, were albums from the 1960s and 70s and 80s. Huh. Um, he was very, very interested in Philadelphia sound. Oh, And so wow. he had done research on it and then went with our staff to the record stores, which of course existed at the time that he did his project, huh. and um, then went back to the studio and created the designs, the batik designs, for these um, astronauts right. from the album covers. And so it was really exciting to see the album covers and then see the exact same typeface, the exact same images, kind of hidden in this batik pattern. But my favorite thing in the box was a children's book on astronauts and space travel. Huh. And when you come to see the show, it's open to the page that he used as the model for his astronauts. Huh. And so it really came from a children's That's book. That's so great. Yeah. Because they do have that. I could see that. They have that quality to them. There's yeah. like a whimsy there. Yes. Huh. And that's where it comes from. That's the source. But you really wouldn't necessarily know that if we hadn't opened up the artist box. Right. And you can see all this material in the box. I could imagine that that might actually, exposing the process like that might actually be kind of a vulnerable thing for some of the artists. Have you, were you in conversation with them as the show was evolving? And sort of, what did they have to say about? That's a great question because as I was planning the show, I started thinking, well, gee, this is really kind of private material. Now, in many cases, when we had contracts with the artists, we did ask them to allow us to show the material in the boxes at some point in time. But not every artist had a contract, and we wanted to make sure that this was okay with the artists. So I sent a letter to every artist in the show um, or at least every artist who we were able to find contact information for, to ask them if we had permission to show their box. And most of them said yes, or didn't respond. <laughs> um, but some of them wanted to know what was in the box because they couldn't remember, especially right. if they had created these 10, 20 years ago. Right. And so we sent them pictures of what was in the box. And a couple of artists said, oh yeah, well this is the important stuff, so we'd really appreciate if you would show this, this, and this, but don't bother showing that because it wasn't really important to, huh. the, to the process, and it's not really interesting to us. So some of the artists, in essence, curated their own boxes, huh. and others just said, sure, show whatever you want. Hmm. But no one said, don't show my box. Having had eyes on the institution for decades. Um, how do you think it's changed? What have been the major shifts? Um, and how do you think it's remained constant? Um, I think that one of the things that I've tried to do 
since I came to years ago is really less about aesthetics than about managing an institution. Mm -hmm. So Kippy was a real visionary yeah. and her heart and life was in the art and with the artists. Kippy was less interested in offering programs to interpret the work mm. than she was in showing the work. And um, also less interested in drawing Philadelphia audiences than she was in national and international recognition, which she very successfully gained. Absolutely. Um, so I feel that a museum has to do everything. That we have to, of course, keep and build our standing in the art world, that we have to attract people from the art world and from the international community. But at the same time, we have to build a Philadelphia audience. And our education department has worked very diligently to create a lecture series, performance series, um, symposia, all kinds of programs for adults where before we were really focused on family programs and on our internship and our apprenticeship program. So we've expanded programming very, very dramatically. It's been quite successful, I'm happy to say, when Ann Hamilton gave a talk um, at the University of the Arts, which was our venue for the talk, we had over 600 people. Yeah. So I think that the character of the organization is changing. Um, of course, it's easier for me to speak about the last two years while I've been here because I've lived in New York, I've run, I've run institutions all over the country and wasn't always able to come to Philadelphia. So, you know, my main knowledge of Fabric Workshop was in a way secondhand yeah. through Kippy through the artists and through the curators who worked with Kippy. Yeah. Um, I did go to her summer program in Maine, which we affectionately called Camp Kippy yes. for 20 years. In fact, I oh, went wow. there um, the summer of my honeymoon with my husband when I got married 20 some odd years ago. And so my familiarity with the fabric workshop was really seen through others' eyes. Well, as someone who's been uh, part of the art world for you know 30 plus years um, how have you seen spaces opportunities for experimentation how have you seen those grow how have you seen them change and and how does experimentation mean differently now than it did say in you know in 1977 yeah I think that the art world like so much of the world um, functions and phases and there's always a pull to one side and then a counter pull to the other side and i'm not sure if this is answering your questions but what question but one thing that i'm intrigued by is this push and pull of trends yeah. really and when kippy started the fabric workshop it was during the pattern and decoration period mm -hmm. And um, although there has always been this push and pull between art and craft or art and handcraft, yes. when Kippy started the fabric workshop, although artists like Robert Kushner probably wouldn't have identified themselves as craftspeople because they were artists, right. those lines 
were a little blurred in the 70s. And then again, as we started getting into the second decade of the new century, those lines became blurred again. And in a funny way, I feel very privileged to be at the fabric workshop yeah. when working with textiles yeah. is no longer something to be ashamed of. That's very Because true. textile artists are being shown. And textile artists aren't necessarily people who sit and make macrame, right. but they're fine artists who choose to work in textile right if not all the time, some of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing has happened in the clay world, where artists who were struggling, and I won't name names, yeah. but so many, so many of the artists yeah. who I spent summers with up in Maine at Camp Kippy, mm -hmm. you know, would just bemoan the fact mm -hmm. that nobody was paying attention to their work. Mm -hmm. Now they have so many shows that they can't keep up. That's true. I was just gonna say, it made me think about also what's happening in clay, but that in particular, sort of textiles and clay seem to be having a moment where they're really being recognized and there's a lot of opportunities for crossover into the sort of contemporary fine art world. Yes, and I think it's a great thing, you know, and I have to stop myself. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, we're dying to visit because my wife, she's just so involved in quilt making. And my first instinct is to say, no, 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 that's not what we're about. <laughs> we're a contemporary art museum. But then, you know, I think, well, Faith Ringgold made quilts. Yes, she did. You know, and other artists yeah. make quilts. And, and she has, she she has, has a, a piece yeah. in the show. She right. has a box yes. in the show. Yes. And Cynthia Hopkins, who is a young artist um, and, and worked here a couple of years ago, she has a piece in the show, and it's a quilt. Yeah. So, you know, even I have to be very careful about my own snobbism. Yeah. Um, so I think you already touched a little bit on this, but um, I'm curious, you know, let's say 10 years from now, it's the 50th, um, or, you know, 20 years from now, it's the 60th, um, and you're thinking about your, what your legacy will be at the Fabric Workshop. Um, what would you like your contribution to be? What I'd like it to be, I think, is that we are still a haven for artists, that artists look at their residencies at the Fabric Workshop as a real gift. And um, that's the gift we give to them. The gift they give to us is all the material they leave behind. I'd like to see that continue. I'd like to see us um, thought of as a real base for experimentation, for research and development, and a place where artists can continue to come to fulfill really their dreams. Um, on the other side of it, though, I'd also like my legacy to be one where people in Philadelphia, no matter who they are, feel ownership of the Fabric Workshop and feel that it's a place for them to come, for them to perhaps even work as interns or apprentices. and that it's really a part of their community and a critical part of their community. And that's something that I've really done at museums around the country. Um, there was a wonderful article in the Philadelphia Inquirer about the show, a review, that Tom Hine wrote, and 
he faulted me on this and said, you know, you have to be really, really careful when you talk about being a community place, a community center, that you don't, that you don't let quality go by the wayside. And I think that my mantra has always been that it's critically important for museums to be both. Absolutely. And to never let quality go by the wayside. And the definition of quality changes all the time mm. with every generation and even every decade. And I think it's so critically important that museums show the highest level of work, whatever that may be at a given time, but also do whatever they can to get the general public interested in that work and to make them feel that it's a place that they can come to and really have a transformative experience. So it's that transformative experience that I always want my legacy to be. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so, so much for sitting down with me. Um, I know there's a whole slate of programming coming up, so is there anything in particular that you wanna highlight or give people a heads up about? Yes, because it hasn't been published yet. Hmm. One of the upcoming programs that I'm most excited about is a talk that Carrie Mae Weems is going to be giving. Carrie Mae is um, one of the most esteemed artists working today. She is represented in the exhibition actually with two projects, um, a beautiful screen that she created with wallpaper, but also um, her artist box shows a number of failed pro projects, things that she started and didn't complete. And so her talk is going to be a very special event and we are just confirming the date. So stay tuned, look at the website, but Carrie May is a new addition to the program. Um, I also want to say that we're in conversation with Laurie Anderson, who very much wants to come and speak, and the same thing. We are looking at a date, and we're very hopeful that she'll be able to come before the show closes. Great. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Um, this has been another installment of Art Blog Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Susan Talbot. I encourage everyone to come out to the show. I'll be back again and again. Um, goodbye. Everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs>